Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. All right, episode four. You get your, get okay. your picture in, Natasha. No, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I just wanted to make sure it looked okay on no, camera. You look good. <laughs> um, well, welcome to Asking Why Podcast. Thank you, thank you. Two of my favorite African-American therapists in Shreveport and in the world. The best. Thank yeah, you. that's right. We thank the best. <laughs> so uh, introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do. I'm Natasha Fields. I'm a licensed professional counselor in the state of Louisiana, and I am proudly on staff with Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness. Nice. And you've been a therapist for how long? Wow. I've been in the helping profession for more than 20 years. I've been licensed for two and a half, three. Um, I've been providing uh, care counseling for about eight. Okay. And what did you do before this? Wow, everything. <laughs> I started my career as a um, CASA recruiter working with um, abused and neglected children. And then I did, um, I worked with uh, the state of Louisiana as a child protection investigator. Wow. And I left there. I went and taught for a few years in underserved schools. Mm-hmm. And then I opened a daycare center. Um, and then I started counseling. Um, I did multi-systemic therapy where I worked in homes um, to try to alleviate or, and identify the systems that caused um, the maladaptive behavior of adolescents. Um, I did home builders therapy um, and I did school-based therapy. Uh, until I came here, my population was 100% um, people who were underserved. Right, awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. You have how many kiddos? I have two. I have a 17-year-old daughter. She'll be 18 in January. And I have a 15-year-old son who will be 16 next month. No, at the end of this month. And so they are a junior and senior in high school. Um, And I um, just got accepted to Fuller. Nice. Theological Seminary. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm starting my, my MDiv in a, in a couple of weeks. That's awesome. At Fuller. I'm super proud of yeah, you. Yeah. Thank you. That's thank awesome. you. Okay. I'm Haseen Jones. I've uh, been doing therapy uh, since probably about 11 years now, since 2009, 2010. So before before I was doing therapy, I was working uh, at uh, Easter Seals uh, doing uh, in-home um, assessments for our elderly and disabled population, uh, just just ensuring that they were getting the proper services that they needed in order to um, live in their home as comfortably as possible, just trying to prevent them from going into the nursing home. I've also worked on uh, two different college campuses. I worked at uh, Navarro College in Corsicana, Texas, doing mm-hmm. um, transfer counseling and uh, just academic advising in general. Uh, then I also came back to uh, Shreveport and Bossier and worked at Bossier Parish Community College doing academic advising as well. 
Um, I consider myself a serial entrepreneur. Uh, so I, I'm into real estate and trucking and uh, barbecue sauce, whatever. You oh, know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a few different, few different hats that I wear. But no, nah, therapy has been, um, therapy has always just been something that's come natural to me. I've always been that that person that was either an advocate for somebody that's been taken advantage of or somebody that was being um, belittled in some kind of way, even as a kid, or um, just, and I always wanted to just speak to the issues that I was experiencing because uh, many times uh, black men, we don't have um, information that we can just find readily about what we're experiencing. Uh, just There's just, just not a lot of research about it. Uh, so it, it, it kind of puts you in this unique space to want uh, to understand why are we uh, wired the way that we wired and why are, the, why are we wired the way that we are wired and how do we adjust and cope with the things that we're dealing with on a daily basis. So my population, I've also worked in, um, in um, just in-home care, just with therapy, just going to the houses and uh, doing that. So my population was the, the disadvantaged or the underserved, as uh, Natasha said. So I was working with boys ages uh, 5 to 18, so I really could relate to them. Um, and at the time, I was a little bit younger, so I, I felt like I definitely could relate. And uh, I, I was not so far removed from what they were experiencing that um, it was so vivid like and i could really give them steps to help them overcome their whatever behaviors that they were they were dealing with so right yeah so natasha what did you why did you get into therapy i seem kind of talked about that wow i got into <clears throat> therapy um like being a helper being a by counselor accident i was a uh i worked in the news field hmm. um and i got the job as the casa um recruiter minority recruiter and my job was to recruit minority men um to work to become a court appointed special advocate and when i got that job i fell in love with working with abused and neglected children mm. and it just kind of went from there god literally took me every step of the way and Amen. um and here here i am yeah well, I'm super excited to have you guys on here. I mean, you know, we've been talking about this stuff. We've had private conversations and personal conversations. And, you know, I know there is a lot of stuff out in the media on, from both the left and the right that everybody's hearing. And um, as a white male who has worked in the system as a counselor, who has worked, you know, I also did MST and worked in home for five years with the Children's Home, worked at the Methodist Children's Home in Ruston when I was in college. You know, we, we all have similar backgrounds, but my experience being an African-American therapist is a totally, you know, not there. And so I want to have a dialogue today about the things that um, everybody's talking about, but a lot of times they don't get a middle ground kind of view or they don't hear it from a real person, right? They hear it, read a tweet and somebody reshare something and, you know, it's another white person sharing a tweet about something else. You know, mm -hmm. in, in my experience, that's who my people are. And just to hear kind of for the average person, what is, what's a, you know, a therapist, a person who's experienced not only being an African-American in the culture, but also somebody who's trained, who understands neurology, who understands trauma, and then has worked in the field with these cultures over the years. Like there's, there's so much that is so rare about that, mm -hmm. right? Because the mental health, and you, you guys can speak to it better than I can, but mental health in the African-American community Right, has even a larger stigma than in, in the Caucasian community. So, can you talk a little bit about that? I'm actually still I'm actually surprised that there is still such a stigma, and because we are in the deep south, 
um, religion, we're in the Bible Belt, religion plays a big role in that. We still have um, the idea of um, Jesus will fix it all. Right. Um, and, and it's still a, a new message to many people that we can have both Jesus and, and therapy. Right. Um, I think the, the more that we promote it, the better um, the outcomes are, but it is still really vast. I mean, when I talk to people um, in the community, consistently I'm hearing we don't believe in therapy or, or why should we not go to therapy or why should we go to therapy or, you know, I feel like we can just deal with it on our own or that kid's just bad and not realizing what a role, how we're raised, what we experience, our chemicals <laughs> and balances mm -hmm. plays in our life and our behavior. Mm -hmm. And so that's a, a stigma is, is still so much bigger than I, than I really realize it is until I start talking to people. Absolutely. So for me, I think the the stigma has been um, perpetuated through the black community just because we um, have grown up just knowing that we need to keep what's going on in this house in this house because we're afraid of what may happen if something is exposed or if something is um, told about what's going on in this house. Basically just trying to keep everybody safe and protected. And as you can see, when um, the cops or the when authorities are called upon black people you were seeing just on camera like people getting arrested or just being berated just because they're existing so that what goes on in this house stays in this house mentality i think that's something that's been in our community just from probably since our inception on being on, on this continent you know just being in existence um just being private and being prideful you know we're very prideful about what we have going on and we're we're Black people are very resilient. So because of that, we don't want to show any flaw. We don't want to show uh, that there's a problem or an issue that I'm experiencing because I, it, what, we, what we see and what we feel in the black community, I'm not speaking for everybody, but for a lot of people in the black communities that you have to almost be twice as better as any counterpart that you have. Mm -hmm. You have to, you have to, you have to look the part, you have to act the part, you have to be the part just to get half of the part. And um, because of that, then we don't want to go and expose any of our psychological issues or any of our mental health issues with anybody because we feel like it could come back to bite us in the tail. So um, I think what Natasha and I have been working on is mm -hmm. just trying to First of all, help people overcome the stigma and understand why that stigma is in place by informing them on what you're really dealing with, giving a name to the problem that you're dealing with, mm -hmm. you know, opposed to just being uh, tired. No, you're stressed. Mm -hmm. You know, opposed to having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm just having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. No, you're stressed out. Yeah, Or you're, you're having anxious, a panic attack. Or you're having a pa exactly. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, and when you can actually give real terms to people, um, I think. I've seen more black people, African-American people mm -hmm. warm up to the idea of therapy because now they can have, they have a true name and an understanding of what they're experiencing. And they know some people who know how to speak to that so they feel mm -hmm. comfortable talking to it. But I'll just be completely honest with you. There's so many people in our community that pass themselves off as counselors. Yes. And because of that, we just, we don't trust them because you're a counselor, but Look at what you're posting and look at what you're talking about and look at what you're saying. Look at look at how you present yourself. You don't seem like a counselor. You don't act like a counselor because counselors are supposed to be non-biased. So when you have people that 
um, wear this hat as a counselor, and then they're not they they are biased, so they 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 share all type of inappropriate things with you or about their personal feelings and let you know, okay, well, you're really not by you're really not non-biased and I may not be able to trust you because of that. I'm not trusting any counselor. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as you, you guys are therapists, like we're all biased, but there's a degree in which that comes out in the room or that comes out in your social media post or that comes in out in your political stances, you know, that comes out in the meetings that you're in. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a, there's a congruence that's important, right? That somebody's going to go, Oh, when I see Hasim, he's the same at this rally as he is in the office, as he is at church. Mm -hmm. So I know what I'm going to get. Yeah. And you're right. There are a lot of people in, in the same way with being Christian. There are a lot of people who are, you know, Christian counselors or say they're Christian mm -hmm. counselors, but like me and you've talked about, they have zero theological training. Right. And and we have we did a you know episode twos on that like you know what does being Christian in America mean and just because you um, you know just because you go to church on Sunday and Wednesday doesn't necessarily mean that you have enough theology to tell a mom whose you know husband died of cancer yeah. why that happened what that happened to talk about racism to talk about these things right. I was watching a clip last night of. Um, Louis Giglio, who's a big Christian pastor, and um, he had, you know, he was talking with Lecrae and somebody else. I can't remember who the other person was. Oh, the owner of Chick Fil A, Dan Cathy, I think. And they're having a dialogue about this, and I don't remember. I don't know when this was. I'd have to look it up. But um, he was talking about. They were talking about white privilege, and and he called it. He called it like the blessing of slavery for white people, and he was trying to make it more palpable so that white people will listen, and empathize, and connect. But then he just got shredded for saying, you know, for relating a blessing. And his point was, is like white people have benefited from slavery. Right. And so there are things that white people, you know, stand on and systemic things that they stand <clears throat> on that have have blessed them. Right. But it's like, God, you know, it was twisting. It's like, well, God didn't bless them with slavery. Like, it wasn't a gift to them. Right. Mm -hmm. But it was right. And in the way that he was saying it, it just got all, you know, all twisted up. But my point is, is that the church sometimes doesn't know how to address these issues, whether it's the white church or whether it's the black church. And even in 2020, we're still really segregated. Yes. Right. I mean, we still have a black church and a white church yes. predominantly, especially in the South. Yes. Um, whether that's a problem or not, we can talk about, but that's just a reality in which all of us live in, Yes. you know? And so then you have all that to, to walk around and figure out and it's yes. complicated. Absolutely. It is. Absolutely. So one of the topics I want to talk about today, um, obviously, is Black Lives Matter. So when I say, I want to clarify that before we end and, and through, through just conversation. So when I say Black Lives Matter or when somebody hashtags Black Lives Matter or when you see it out there, what does that mean to you guys as individuals? As an individual, the statement Black Lives Matter means that um, basically Black Lives Matter too. Um, not black lives matter only but black lives matter too and it's a reminder that um, people of color black people are indeed 100% of a person not three-fourths right and so um, it's a reminder a call to action and um, a statement of purpose that um, identifies that our, our lives matter too mm -hmm. um, and, and are no less valuable than a, a white person's life. Um, no more yeah. valuable, no less um, valuable, but it, it does matter. Mm -hmm. That's good. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with Natasha. I think uh, when I hear Black Lives Matter, I'll be completely honest with you, I always check the source because I feel like the um, statement has been hijacked and now it's being manipulated and turned into something that many black people don't even identify with. Mm-hmm. Where if you're, it, when you see people holding up Black Lives Matters uh, shirts and, and so on and so forth, but then you see the riots, you don't see the black people participating in that, but they claim Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. as a part of the riot. So I feel like the message is being hijacked at this point and that leaves a lot of black people conflicted. Now, of course, we feel like our lives matter. We feel like uh, we're, we're, we're saying Black Lives Matter just to put it, just to put it on the table because mm-hmm. we feel as if it, 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 it doesn't matter. When you see black men, black women um, continually be violated and hurt and beat and killed on camera, that, that puts out the message that black lives don't matter. And just to be completely honest with you, Clint, I don't know where I can go and see white people get killed all day every day mm-hmm. i can't go watch a news station and see that i can't go through my social media feed and see that i can't listen to music that talks about that so when you when you're inundated with so much trauma you you i think black lives matter was created to say hey i don't agree with this i don't agree with the trauma i don't agree with the hurt i don't agree with the pain i'm valuable i should not be seeing other black bodies uh being uh hurt killed harmed on camera that and I think Black Lives Matter is is just a statement to not necessarily rally all black people, but just to remind us and, and allow us to be cognizant that although we're facing all these atrocities and all this hard stuff is going, all these, these bad things are going on, we still matter, you know? Absolutely. So. You can get your phone. Sorry about that. Sorry, good. That was a good answer. Yeah. So you said a couple things in there I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ask. So you said what you don't see is black, black people involved in the writing but that's not true like i'm not saying that the black black lives matter movement is not involved in writing but there's plenty of videos and evidence of yeah, large no. groups of people that are african-american busting into t-mobile yeah no i think that's happening but when people say this is in the name of black lives matter that's false i don't feel like people that truly care about black lives matter are out there trying to go go burn down you know target right that, that's not what we're like that the the because it's a movement. That's not what the movement represents to me. Absolutely. It's not going to go burn down Target. To me, Black Lives Matter truly should, should represent policy. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about Black Lives Matter and you care about Black Lives Matter, that means we should be soliciting our senators, our mayors, our governors, our congressmen, our presidents, our vice presidents to implement policy to protect black lives because that's what we feel like is not happening. Absolutely. So... Yeah, yeah, because I get what that's, you're saying. that's the argument, right? Is that mm-hmm. we see this swing of left and right, and, and and you hear people on the right, black people and white people and Hispanic people. I mean, we're not the only culture in the world, Absolutely. right? It's not just this black and white issue. Of course, there's a lot of lives on the table. But the reality is, is that um, the media and and what I don't want to do is just replicate that conversation, mm-hmm. right? That we're hearing. And Absolutely, because we people want an answer to why is it that you know you see a video of fifteen you know young African American kids breaking in somewhere, burning something down. And what you're saying is, is that that is a minority of the movement of just the average African-American person who's, who's using Black Lives Matter as a platform to be heard, to address some of the systemic racism, some of the systemic violence, mm-hmm. some of the historical, you know, continuation of the echoes of slavery that are still currently happening. Absolutely. That, but it's not all or nothing. Like there's, there are people who are taking this movement 
especially kids and 20 year olds and they're doing really inappropriate things that no one who has a black life, well not no one, but very few Black Lives Matter actual advocates would say, yeah, that's a good idea. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Okay. So just clarifying that point. So did you have anything on that? Um, not not particularly to add. No, I think you guys, you know, pretty much covered it. Um, Black Lives Matter is not um, and, and was not historically what the rioting, um, the looting that you see on television television the protests yes yeah they identify with that but there's yeah. a big difference between the protests and the rioters and the rioters are the minority um and have been um publicly you know um rebuked Absolutely. for the for that behavior and so i think that it's kind of unfair to say okay these black people are out there rioting and they're a part of the movement um and and not look at the movement as a whole because yeah and it's not just place, black people right yeah, yeah it's not exactly. just black people and the movement there was a movement before the protest and the riots and so if we're going to look at the movement yeah. let's look at it as as a whole picture and yeah. not just um george floyd was murdered now they're rioting right you yeah. know and so I, I think if we look at the big picture of the movement then we'll get a better idea of what black lives matter is what it stands for and like i stated earlier um black lives matter too yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I think that's a perspective people need to hear is us breaking down, you know, the differences. Because one, I saw a meme um, that was pretty funny. It was this white kid, and it was Target, and he had this uh, Star Wars, uh, like, uh, Lego set. Mm. And he was like, I want to know what's going on in this kid's life that he, you know, risked a pandemic and a riot to get this Star Wars <laughs> Lego. But, like, that's the kind of stuff, right? So his age group, his 19-year-old self, like that's just a population of people that no matter what is going to be out there being crazy, mm -hmm. clowning, being ridiculous. And we know this yeah. when we'll get into the trauma part of that, but like all those kids, whether white, black, Hispanic, our whole culture has so much trauma that when there's an emotional situation, there's going to be a subset of people who just lose it and do mm -hmm. whatever it is to cope with, to be heard, to be, yeah. you know, but that's not the way to do it. Yeah, right. exactly. but, you, but you also have people that are just sitting on the sideline waiting. They're, 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 oh, they're, absolutely. That are ticking time, but waiting for an opportunity to get out there and to let some frustrations out, you know, or, or to violate somebody. You know, you, you do have people that don't align with either movement mm -hmm. that just say, whenever there's an opportunity for me to act out and to do something bad, I'm going to do that. Yep. Right. You know, so that that the, the protest and the marches that just provided the perfect atmosphere for me to mix in with the crowd and regardless what of what I may be here for, I know I'm about to go bust this window. The protests, the marches, and the current underlying climate of racism in the United States. Absolutely. It's and the we have atmosphere. to and we have to um, identify that um, racism has been verbalized more recently. Not that it hasn't always been there, but it's more blatant. Mm -hmm. It's more verbal, it's more in your face, it's more I don't care. Um, who I offend, this is how I feel. Mm -hmm. um, and that's from um, all races. I'm not just saying that's just from white people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. from that's from everybody. And so when you have um, the 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 blatant um, racism mm -hmm. um, from all sides and and then you have televised um, deaths and and I can't get into the if it's murder, killing, what it's just yeah, televised. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Um, then that is, is just kinder. For yeah. Place. So, so that's, that's the question. And we talked about this before. So part of the problem that we, 
we're saying is, is, you know, Hasim, you said, you know, I can't take it. When I've talked about it, like when we mm-hmm. talked the other night, you're yeah. like, well, I'm going to watch this. And you're like, I can't do it. And that that's all of us. Like, you know, there's certain things we can tolerate and certain things mm-hmm. we can't. And then once we're so saturated, we just can't deal with it anymore. But the media and what they choose to portray, right, versus mm-hmm. like you said, I can't go anywhere and watch white people get killed. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to look for it, mm-hmm. but it's there. Right. I mean, statistically, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but like cops shoot unarmed white people all year long, too. Mm-hmm. But they don't post videos of it on social media. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they There's not a bunch of people shoving it in your face, showing white white people get shot mm-hmm. by cops. But statistically, right, the research shows that there's a lot of unarmed black. There were 19 last year unarmed white people get killed by cops and there were nine African-Americans. That's the statistic. I don't know how accurate that statistic is. Yeah, because that's not the... I looked... I saw the statistic last night, and that's not what I saw. Yeah, um, and it And it was that it... Um, the statistics that I looked up last night, and I did not bring them, all said um, that um, black people are arrested, um, face brutality, um, and um, have negative um, interactions more than any other race. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm just specifically talking about unarmed shootings. But the problem is that um, we can't, it's, I don't have the capacity to specifically talk about the unarmed shootings. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, and and this, is, this is why these are hard yeah. conversations, yeah. right? Which is why we're going to have them in a safe space. But what, I'm just playing the idea that the, the only thing I'm addressing is why you don't see those shootings. You no, don't see those shootings because... Um, it's not because they don't happen. Like you just said, right. well, I, don't, I can't see a video of a white guy getting shot by a cop on arm. But they the, happen. The reason you don't see those videos, and I'm sorry, Natasha, no, is, is, is because the value that's been placed on black lives. Exactly. In, in, in our society. You can't go around and just see... Uh, videos of kids being killed. You For can't sure. go around and see videos of elderly people getting killed. You can't go around and see Asian, you know, people get. You, you, you're, you're not seeing that on your news. So the fact that our society has not placed the same value on a black person's lives, that's why you're able to see it so openly and freely. Whenever you want to just Google it, you can see 15 or 20 murders of black people, whether it was done by by a police officer or whether it was just captured on camera. But you're not able to readily and available see any other demographic of people be murdered, be shot down, be killed on camera. So when when I hear Black Lives Matter, I think it speaks to that. My life matters. Why are you showing my last moments for the entire world? To yes, see? and that's that's the exact question that I have is you're right. The problem is, is that the media doesn't value your life either. Yeah, like they're yeah. using it as a tool. Yeah, the the media doesn't care about Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, Blue Lives. They don't care. They care about ratings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you when I think, uh, and and for us, uh, being just being black, we have we are so on edge, and I think our our entire country is just on edge right now. We're just on edge. Period. So anything that's going to be eye popping or eye gouging, that's what the media is trying to mm-hmm. trying to put out there. So. When we begin to understand that they truly don't care about Black Lives Matter, they truly don't care about any of this thing, any of this stuff, all they care about is the ratings. Until we we, we can begin to process that, I think um, that's the only way we'll be able to say, hey, uh, NBC, ABC, CBS, PBS, whoever is showing it, 
this isn't appropriate for you to be showing. It has, it, it's not enriching anybody that's watching it. We can read about it. And and I told Clint, I I haven't seen an, another unarmed black person killed probably since like Tamir Rice. Like yeah. that was the last video I just I said I'm gonna watch. I'm not watching any more of those videos because mm-hmm. it's too traumatizing. Like, and why is this even able to be shown on television? Mm-hmm. But when when we look at because the bigger picture is not just unarmed black people yeah. being Go there, okay. shot. Yeah. It's um, how many deaths um, are, you know, Sandra Bland was Absolutely. not armed. Um, Absolutely. And, and she died in police custody. Mm-hmm. Um, the gentleman um, who died in March, who had the spit hood on, he had mental health issues. He was not mm-hmm. armed. He wasn't shot, but he died in police custody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so it's a bigger picture of black lives are not valued. Absolutely. And that's why we have to say and remind the world that they matter. That's good. Yeah, so that point is what I'm, I'm bringing out is that when you see statistics, it's like we talked about with COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Me and you a while back. Yes. You know, COVID is, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal because look at the death rate. Mm-hmm. What we're not looking at, and this is not a pitch on what COVID is or isn't, I have no clue. But what I do know is that, you know, it people are way sicker longer. Mm-hmm. It keeps people on the vent longer. There's all kinds of long-term consequences that people suffer through mm-hmm. that they don't end up dead and they end up okay. But that season that they went through with it was horrible. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with racism. Like, mm-hmm. so let's say the stats are high, right? They, they are what the Wall Street Journal put out because that's where mm-hmm. I got it. And they're pretty liberal, so I assumed they were a pretty good one. And I looked up about okay, seven clean. other ones. Uh, <laughs> but my point is, is that you're right in the sense that anybody can take statistics and, and manipulate them to look at There are more white people in the country. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, of course, we're going to be higher. But the, the, the my point of, of pushing that button is is to get us to talk about it mm-hmm. and get you to, to say that. Because that is mm-hmm. the reality, is that it's not just death rates. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. African-Americans, like, I've lived as a white person, like we talked about. I know I have gotten out of my car every time I've been pulled over until the last, like, four years. Like, I just, I get pulled over, like, when, especially when I was in high school. I just hop out and walk, walk back with my ID. and like, what's up? Smile. Try to get out mm-hmm. of the ticket. Mm-hmm. And my black friends cannot do that. Mm-hmm. Never have been able to do that. Aren't going to do that. Whether that's true that that cop would have shot me in that moment or them in that moment is not the point the point is is what people feel like based on the culture what their experience has been and the the facts are is as a white man i know that that is not the same thing as it is for you or for Hussein. right it's not the same reality and let me add it it, the reality is different for me than from Mm Hussein. because as we talked about i have a 17 year old daughter who's been pulled over twice by the police and she cried and you know, got poo-pooed and, and got out of it, right? Um, had that been my 15-year-old son, um, my expectation would be it would be a different mm-hmm. um, a different um, experience. Mm-hmm. And the experiences that I've been um, told by my brothers when they've gotten pulled over have been totally different. My experiences with the police have always, um, I've always been coddled. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that has to do with, you know, I'm a, you know, feminine, wimpy-looking woman. You know, and Hasim may be a more intimidating appearing man and, and have very different experiences. And so I think it's important that we, we identify that, you know, even within our race, um, even within, within that, there are going to be some differences in the way that the police interact. Yeah, and that's a great point is that one of the problems we've got into in identity politics is 
labeling, hey, this is how all experiences are for black people, or this mm-hmm. is how all cops are, this is how all Republicans are, or all Democrats or whatever, um, instead of just asking individuals what their experience has been like and what mm-hmm. that's been like you know, for them and, and how that plays out. Because at some point, right, we can only know what we know and what our experience has been. But just because you've had a bunch of great experiences, right, right. Doesn't, go, doesn't give somebody the right to go, well, see, then, you know, there aren't that many cops that harass black people and there's right. not that many things. You know, but that's what we're seeing right now is, mm-hmm. is somebody will post a video of an African-American person agreeing with their right-wing, you yes. know, politics. And they're like, see, it's all right then if this black person said it. Right. Yeah. And I'm and and Candace just, Owens says it is it's, it's, it's the <laughs> truth and oh all gosh. black people agree with it. I'm not. <laughs> not today. But I'm just yeah. saying that, that, that there is a big difference between black female interactions and, and black male. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and I think it may a lot have to do with the alpha male thing, the um, the appearance of being a threat. Absolutely. I don't know if it has to deal deal with that or not because you can see some 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 smaller african-american men that still get treated you know the same exact way i just think there's a there black men in our society have been um demonized you know we we have been uh been made to look as if we're this animalistic creature that's only out to rape steal and pillage Mm -hmm. you know and, and and pulverize a community for so long that that's embedded in so many people, like white people's heads. It's just embedded that black people are inherently bad and gonna gonna do something to you. So because of just that, just give it time. Yeah, that just over. If you just if you wait long enough, they're gonna do something. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So and because of that, well, when you when I have an interaction with a police officer, that's that's going through his head. Mm-hmm. Just like when I watch the news and I see another unarmed black. I'm changing it because I don't want to hear it. I don't want to. I'd rather just read about it than visually see it. But that's all those things are going through his head because that's what he heard from his dad. That's where he heard from his granddad. That's where where his great granddad told him and so on and so forth. And then you had images out, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it's the media. Every depiction of black men, you always only seeing them when they're arrested. Mm-hmm. If we just watch the news, you mm-hmm. you, you know, um, I mean, we're, we happen to be in a majority black city in Shreveport, so you do get some balance. But in most cities, mm-hmm. the only time you see black people on the news, if they're not asking for money or doing something regarding charity or community service, mm-hmm. it's when they're getting arrested or when they did something bad, when they're, do- when they're stealing. So those messages continue to be shot out to- throughout the entire country and to keep that demon, demon, that demonized thought or that demonized vision of black people perpetuating just for years and years and years. So yeah, the media plays a big role. So I don't know if it has to do anything with, with you being a woman. I just think if you're getting pulled over by a male officer, they may not be as intimidated or feel like they could assert their, their dominance, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying, in that situation with me, they may have a fight. I agree. And I feel like if I were more of an alpha, quote unquote, female, then I would have a different, um, I would have a totally different interaction. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about the media, um, I just thought about, I visited Thailand a few years ago and um, our tour guide was, um, had a lot of questions. And he told us that the only thing that they knew about black people, about people of color, was with a group of black women, was what they saw on television. Absolutely. And it was all bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that that piggybacks on what a major role the media plays Absolutely. In, in in people's perception. Yeah, and that's kind of my point is is trying to um, figure out what the truth is and what the facts are 
versus what's being presented to us mm-hmm. and what people's agendas are. And and I think people, I don't have a hard time with it. Like mm-hmm. I believe there's systemic racism. I believe mm-hmm. in white privilege. I believe that we're still dealing with the echoes of slavery. We're very little removed from uh, you know Jim Crow Absolutely. and all the things that we've had in our culture. So that's all fact. Yeah. The question that I always have is, as I treat black people as a counselor, as I'm working with you guys as friends, as, as coworkers, is like you asked me, what should I actually be afraid of? You know, what are the facts for my 16 year old son? Mm-hmm. You know, what should I be afraid of? And what we talked about was, is that, so we'll go to the, the recent shooting of um, Blake, I think. Uh, yes, yeah. I think it was Blake. Let me look mm-hmm. it up so I don't get his name right. Um, that's for the NBA, right? That they wore the bl- the shirts with the seven bullet holes in the back. Yeah, Milwaukee. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah, Jacob Blake. Jacob Blake. Um, so we, wa- I watched that video, and me and you talked we about talked it for about a while. It. So you know, first of all, what you never know in any of these clips is what happened for thirty minutes before, for twenty minutes before, for ten minutes before. You're just seeing usually right at the minutes. moment, right mm-hmm. now. George Floyd's a do- totally different case, and we'll get to that. But in, in the Jacob Blake situation, the reality is is that no one should be shot for being combative, right? No one should be murdered for talking back. No one should be murdered for being aggressive. No one should be murdered for any reason other than the cop feeling like they're unsafe, mm-hmm. right? And like literally knowing that they're unsafe, being in the moment, okay? So... I'm agreeing, we're all agreeing that that's the case, yes. right? And anybody listening to this, like the reality is is that you can say, oh, well, they were scared, oh, well, this happened, but but unless the person's pulling a gun out, reaching for something in their pocket, you know, grabbing your gun, no one should be murdered. Mm-hmm. Right. Above that, we'll talk about, you know, policing in general, but like there should be ways of also tasing them, taking them down, you know, doing things way before it gets to the point where they're in your gun or going into some like that whole thing. So that's already that's already established. No one should be murdered. But the problem with the situation is is that the guy the guy in the video right is that he's tussling. He's on the ground. The cops let him up because they can't get a hold of him. Can't get him in handcuffs. He stands up. He walks all the way around the car. Cops pull their guns, have three guys with guns on him, telling him to stop, telling him to stop, telling him to stop. Then he reaches in, opens the door with tinted windows, reaches in. The cop's pulling him from behind and shoots him from behind seven times. I see on Twitter, you can't be a black person in America and just walk to your car without getting shot in front of your kids. But that's not what happened. So I want to talk about how do we break down and understand the, the, the different parts that are wrong, the ways that we can change those scenarios and get to what the truth of the situation is? Because I don't think the average white person would say, oh, he deserved to be murdered. Mm-hmm. But I think when they watch a video like I did with the knowledge that I have and the education and the friends and the experiences, and I'm going, wait a second, he, he wasn't an innocent person going to his car getting shot in the back. Right, mm-hmm. he was a person. Rest- well, he was still innocent. Yeah, That's, he was still in. He was still an innocent person because he hadn't been convicted of anything. So yeah, he yeah. was still innocent. But I could see from an officer's perspective if I'm trying to accost somebody, and I have help and backup, and then you go into your car, 
in my mind, that's going to tell me that you're about to I'm hurt me. Die. You know, you're, you're about to hurt me. Or, mm -hmm. you, I don't know what you're about to do, but I just tried to subdue you and none of it worked. So I see that perspective. However, there's so many forms of um, ways to constrain or ways to hold back somebody before it. Okay, before so that, that's moving gets, on. You know, so okay. I want to get there, yeah. right? But what we're what we're what I'm addressing is how the media doesn't do black people's ser service by portraying it in a non-truth. Like I feel like both sides yeah. they they don't present the truth, and then let's look at the nuance of the truth. Which like that's what I want to do right now is yeah. is take these one these couple of situations mm -hmm. and and talk about it in a complicated way mm -hmm. and get to from an from yeah. African American standpoint where you because you guys trust me right we so do. so we're gonna I'm I gonna do. be able to say this out loud <laughs> without true. like even if it's a little triggering mm -hmm. we've already talked about this before like you guys can deescalate a little bit a little bit and we can we can get there the average person they never get this chance yeah, yeah. right because they don't have real close black and white friends mm -hmm. that they can talk about this. Mm -hmm. And y'all can't sometimes talk about this with other African-Americans to find the nuance because you immediately get called whitewashed. Yeah. Yeah. And so my point is, is like, yes, he was innocent of any crimes. Yeah. I, I, get, I said that in the beginning, he did not deserve to die whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But once you're reaching into your car, at what point, right? At what point do you have to listen to the police? You have to listen. You you are supposed to listen to the police. Um, we're going to start there, um, and and we're also right. So if they say this, sit down. You're supposed to listen to the police, and you are supposed to. Um, and the police are afraid of your hands, right? And so if the police can see your hands, then um, you're safer because they're not afraid of your legs. They're not afraid of your. your they're afraid of your hands, mm -hmm. and um, that's what I've always been taught through some trainings. Um, I, I believe, um, at, we all agree that, um, no one should get, um, shot, uh, for going to their car. Um, but we also have to agree that there are people of multiple colors, um, who are officers and they are risking their lives. And so the concern, when we talk about the media, as it relates to that, it's what's the outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, I mentioned earlier that I started my career working in media it's about ratings right it's about the next best thing um one of the reasons it was easy for me to leave that career was because it was so um soulless to be honest um you know and 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 so cutthroat and so when you have people who are only concerned with furthering themselves mm -hmm. we cannot trust them to support our movement but still had that been a white man for sure but still, a white man went in and murdered people in a church, and they got him a hamburger on his way to jail. For sure. And so, if we, yes, we identify that they need to see your hands, but that does not preclude the conversation about um, the, the ridiculous amount of racism. Absolutely. Um, the, the police brutality. Yeah. So the point, um, you're, the point you're saying, not to cut you off, but the point you're saying is, is that and I'll say this as a white man. Yes. Yes, I can get away with going into my car way more often yes. than a black person can. 100%. That's the racism issue. Yes. Or one of them, like one of the points. So that's the problem with the media, though, is that they should just say that, mm -hmm. right? They should give both sides of the situation and say, okay, he needs yeah. to comply 
But even when you don't comply, white people who don't comply don't end up getting shot as much as black people do. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. But it's still, there's two parts to it. It's still a compliance issue on what do we do to help black people not get shot? Why are they not being compliant? Mm -hmm. Right? In these videos that we've seen, that I've seen, that have been the top news stories, in the large majority of them, someone's not being compliant. Someone's not letting a cop handcuff them. Someone's fighting. Someone's being aggressive back. Now, that is on video. Like, there's no arguing that that's the case. So So, so what do you think the problem with that is? Let's just play devil's advocate. So why aren't black people being compliant? Was there, does anybody know if he had a mental health issue? Does anybody know that, he could have been having a, a manic episode or he could have been delirious or anything. Could we don't, cause we say you don't know what happened those mm-hmm. 10 or 15 minutes before. So why isn't he being compliant? We don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's something they're going to have to figure out in court. You know, they're, they're, they're luckily, you know, he's still alive and he get a, mm-hmm. gets an opportunity to share his side of the story, but we, we don't know that. And I don't think that's the media's job to even tell us that the media's job is to get your attention. And I'm going to put something out, and I just want to see where where you're going to go with it. Mm-hmm. That's their total job. And, and until um, I think Americans become uh, aware that that's happening, that they're they're not here to tell you their entire story. Right. They're here to get you just in real quick and capture your attention and wow you, and mm-hmm. then try to move on to another story that that may calm you down a little bit, then mm-hmm. wow you again. Mm-hmm. Like that's 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 the roller coaster they want you to go on in the media. And I think what happens is so many people are not informed of that, uh, about that and we get emotionally tied to the story yes. and we believe everything that we see. And I mean, we, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, and we have to re- re- understand how important our emotions are because even, you know, as a professional in a room with two people I truly, truly, truly trust and, and, and believe have my best interest at heart, I'm, you know, on the inside kind of coming unglued to even have this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we look at me sitting here um, with my experience training with people I trust having this conversation, imagine someone who um, has not done any emotional work mm-hmm. um, being in a situation where they are consistently traumatized or re-traumatized and then getting those images. Yeah, absolutely. And so having these hard conversations is how, how we find solutions. And it's both. Mm-hmm. Right. It's my question of what's the issue with def- defying police, right, with not listening. And I think you're 100 percent right, Haseem, is that you have to, you know, cheesy as it is, ask why is that with, with African-American culture? And that goes back to roots of slavery, yeah. roots of poverty. Yeah. Why? Are, like, so the question so, is, like, yeah. OK, yeah, white people are more compliant. Well, why is that? Well, but, they have more education. They no. have more support. They, they don't have a history of slavery and exactly. trauma. Exactly. So why are black people not compliant with the police? We inherently just don't trust them. Right. Absolutely. We don't trust the police. We don't trust the police to serve and protect us like their moniker is. So because if we just look at the history of the police were mm-hmm. created right. to go and capture slaves mm-hmm. that, that ran away. So that was the whole purpose of even creating the police to this day. Now it's mm-hmm. morphed into something different. You know, but you still have some of those underlying, you know, seated issues that yeah. mm-hmm. that that is why we have the police in the way that they're police. Like they shouldn't even be police in the same way. But black people just have an issue with trusting the police because over and over that that mistrust has been 
not only well documented, but it's been driven into our homes, into our families, into mm -hmm. uh, our personal lives over and over again. So we don't trust the police. We don't know what your intention is. I know so many of my just, just black male friends right now, they tell me, I don't know what I would do if I was pulled over by a cop because I've seen them kill black people for doing just about anything. Mm -hmm. Get, you got shot inside of your car you know, Philil mm -hmm. Cast yeah, Castile. Castile was shot inside of his car after he alerted the cop that I have a gun. And the cop asked him to, to get his gun. Mm -hmm. He was still shot. It's like, well, what do I do? What do I do? Because I, I, I have guns. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? I ride around, like some of them ride around with guns. And they're like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Should I tell them that I have a gun? Or should I just pray that they don't search my house, my, my car? And, you know, I can just get away. So we we're truly conflicted. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to respond because you see, yeah, you, yeah, you see that uh, uh, the situation with 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 the gentleman George, Jacob Jacob Jacob, Jacob uh, in 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 Milwaukee, but you also see, you know, so many other situations where black people just aren't doing anything or we're trying to run away, like the the elderly gentleman in mm -hmm. North uh, South Carolina a few years ago, just trying to get away because he's scared for his life, mm -hmm. which I feel like every black person is probably scared for their life when they encounter a cop, you know, mm -hmm. depending on where you are and depending on who it is, you're, you're scared for your life. So that's an automatic response. You know, we're talking about fight or flight. Right, exactly. You know, but... We'll explain that a little bit for the average person who doesn't know what you're talking about. So fight or flight is uh, it's an automatic response that our brain um, kicks on and turns on whenever you're encountering a, a dangerous or a scary situation. So you, you have a response. Either you're going to sit there and fight your way through it or because you're so scared by it, you're so alerted by it, you're, you're, you're deciding that I'm going to run away from this. So when you see black men running away from the cops, a lot of times it's not because they... Um, are doing anything bad it's just that the idea of what the police represent in our community and what they've always represented in our community and the interactions that other family members and other um um friends have had from the police we decide that i don't want to deal with this because i don't know how this is going to turn out right and you're not rationally thinking about the consequences mm -hmm, in the moment right. right they're not they're not thinking well, if I do this, I may get yeah. shot. Or if I do that, I'll might get you know the police might think I'm doing something no. bad. It's an it's an automatic response, yes. nervous nervous system response. Absolutely, yep. it's no thinking when you're in fight or flight mode. You're not you're not logically thinking because right now you're on alert. You're on pins and needles. You're afraid for your life, and you're going to either I'm going to fight my way through this. If I see a, a a little dog come in here, and I may be scared for my life. But I know I can punt this little dog. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But this person with this gun that's coming at me, I'm not about to try to fight you. I'm going to get away as fast as I can, no matter if it's a cop or if somebody that looks like me or doesn't look like me. Yeah. I'm trying to get away from this from, from this situation because I don't want to deal with whatever the outcome may be. This that's dog, I can figure, I can either I'm going to get bit or I'm going to step over it, I'm going to move it out the way, I'm going to shove it. But this person with this gun... I don't have any words for it. I'm, I'm getting out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm running away. So I think when or attacking, like we saw, you know, yeah, like, or attacking. Yeah, yeah. You know, fight. it's fight or flight. You know Freeze what I'm saying? Or yeah. fawn as well. Yeah. And so I think with um, George Floyd, it appeared to be a freeze situation. Yeah. He was frozen and didn't want to get in the car. 
um, trauma response. And yeah. then Fawn, you know, when we talked earlier about me and my daughter being pulled over, I haven't been pulled over in years, but <laughs> when we talked about that, um, it's the fawning. Um, I, you know, I submit. Um, and, and in order to, um, because we perceive a threat. Right. And, and so the, at the end of the day, um, black people react differently because of trauma and a perceived threat. That's good. I mean, I want people to understand that as they're listening is that as we peel back the layers, right, that's really the issue in these moments where it's easy for people to sit back and say, well, just comply. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I'm going to comply because I'm not going to be in fight or flight if I get pulled over. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. I have the prefrontal cortex, right, to go, huh, I need to do this. I need to do that. Like, yeah. I need to check my ID, man. Was I going too fast? Like, mm -hmm. you know, crap. And, and sometimes even annoyed at the cop. For wasting my time when I think I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. But for an African American in this culture, and I'll explain in a second, it, it's not that it's not that same way because as soon as you're pulled over, as soon as you see the lights, a lot of times your cortisol's kicking in, that stress hormones coming in, and now you're into right brain functioning, and you're like, I gotta either attack or I gotta get out of here. here. That makes you nervous. That makes your body respond jittery. That makes you look shaky. That makes exactly. your eyes get big. That makes exactly. you look aggressive. Exactly. That makes you sound aggressive. Or it makes you sound really quiet, like you're hiding something or there's something yeah. going on. Mm -hmm. So there's specific things that are going on biologically mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with you being a black person. That yeah. has everything to be doing to do with you being a human from a system in which this has been going on forever. Absolutely. So even if it's not going on as much now, We've not recovered from the years and years and years that it has been going on Absolutely. that was not very far away mm -hmm. yeah. that we're still responding to. Yeah, and, I, and I, I've been talking about this a little bit, intergenerational trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think because my granddad or great-grandfather and his, his, his father and his cousin and his brother have all experienced these interactions, they have been passed down, you know? Um, now, when I, 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 even, even with racism, because of your, your great grandfathers and so on and so forth have all experienced life through this through this lens those thoughts have been passed down and you might not even know why you have an issue with a black person or you may not even know why you you don't inherently trust the cops but because all that has been passed down in your dna it's in it's a part of your mental and biological makeup now you're just automatically have a stance on it and you don't know where it comes from that's great you know um, so, yeah, it's called epigenetics, if anybody wants to look that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but a lot of black people are, are don't even realize why they have the fear that they have or why they respond to, to, to even one another. You mm -hmm. know, we, we can respond pretty harshly to one another. Mm -hmm. uh, but until we can begin to peel back some of those layers and to heal from the past, it's going to be hard for a lot of black people to trust and move forward. Because if you don't know what why you're responding the way that you're responding, you're going to continue to do it and think that think that it's fine and think that it's okay. Yeah, so. you use the the dog analogy, so I'm glad you used it. So it doesn't have to be me comparing black people to dogs. But the the reality is this: I want to use an analogy for people to understand trauma. So I have a six year old son, right? Mm -hmm. And he is a six year old, so he has no brain at all, right? And every dog that he sees, he thinks is friendly. Well, actually, he doesn't even think. He just runs and go, goes to pet them and get in their face and that, you know. And I'm trying to teach him, like, hey, you got to ask. Please ask to pet your dog. Is your dog friendly? Not all dogs are friendly, mm -hmm. right? But in his world, that's the case. If he got bit by one of those dogs just one time, right, what's his response going to be the next dog? 
He's not going to trust them. No. Now, is that rational? Or are the large majority of dogs bad? No. No. Not, he's already pet 100 dogs so yeah. far and never been bitten. Yeah. Right? So if you're a black person or you're a police officer and your experience is, I deal with lower SES black people and every time I go out, there's crime, there's violence, there's shooting, there's these things. Absolutely. Right? Then the next shift, I'm assuming for my protection, rational or not, everybody's bad. Absolutely. The same thing is flipped for a black person. Every time you're getting pulled over, this is one of those chances for uh, you know, George Floyd or a whoever yeah. that's going to happen to me. Not only has it happened to me, I just literally watched it before I left and got in my car because the media is pumping it down my throat. Absolutely. So now... My my, it's it's when we're talking about trauma, the problem is is that people throw these facts out, right? They're like, oh well, there's only been eight people killed last year unarmed. There's not like, why are you scared? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of people's stance, right? It's yes. like, let's look it's at horrifying. the facts. There's only been eight pe- black people unarmed shot last year. Why are you scared? And what I want people to hear is is that it's not the death that's the problem. It's the entire history of the culture, mm-hmm. the abuse, the the bullying, the being pulled over, the being judged and criticized, mm-hmm. the being treated differently when you go in gas stations and stores, when people cross the street. There's all these things that don't kill you mm-hmm. physically, but that kill your soul and that kill your brain and that form neuropathways and habits to where that all culminates in, I just get pulled over, I've had a bad day, I've never gotten therapy in my life because of slavery and mm-hmm. the history of racism and the culture of stigma of black people that we talked about earlier. And now I'm here and I'm supposed to just be calm. Yeah. It didn't work that way. Now I'm not saying that gives the guy the right to defy police officers. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying we have to look at the overall, it's a bunch of problems for in order for, in my opinion, as a therapist, for people to not be defiant to police, they have to get trauma therapy. Yeah, they have to recover from and learn how to be in fight or flight and be rational. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's a big weighty task that we have. Yeah. Does that make sense? That is. That makes it makes perfect sense. Um, and and I think that one of the biggest tasks is uh, reducing the stigma, eliminating mm-hmm. you know the the stigma of mental health care, and 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 helping and educating um, us all on trauma and what trauma does and yeah. how it affects the brain and how it's something that we probably all deal with um, normalizing it and, and understanding why therapy is important and why we do the things we do absolutely um, because education can will help normalize um, and 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 hopefully some cause some healing for sure <laughs> because I think you know the media when they when they say things like you can't walk to your car without getting shot in front of your kids when that's how they portray the the Jacob Blake situation. Mm-hmm. I think that puts people in, like you just said, it puts you in fight or flight. Absolutely. And then it's killing more black people, right? It's it's getting it's this whether real or not perceived situation in which I'm already in danger because now there's a narrative in which I can't even walk to my car. Okay. When the reality isn't that, right? The reality isn't there's a bunch of videos of 19 year old black kids walking from Target. A cop walks up and says, "Hey, what are you doing here?" Bam, bam, bam. Mm-hmm. But that's what's being portrayed, right? That's what's being communicated is it's at that level. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's not at a horrific level on other things, mm-hmm. but it's not at the level in which you're getting bombarded with videos of people being compliant and getting murdered. Yeah. That does happen. But one or two videos in one year is not enough that logically mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. people should be terrified that they're going to get murdered by the police. What's added to yeah. it, though, is the interactions and the non, yes. non-death violent situations that happen, mm-hmm. the treatment. And that's what I want people to hear, and I'm validating for you, <laughs> yes. is that it's not just, oh, did somebody die or not? Yeah. Right. The fear doesn't come from just look, going, oh, well, statistically, it's the mm-hmm. same thing as the, the car, a, a car wreck victim or the dog bite victim or the whatever. It doesn't matter what the statistics are and if you got bit it's all the experiences you've had up into that point mm-hmm. and we've got to heal from that mm-hmm. i agree um and also looking at um the the whole picture you know because it's not only about them shooting you know it's also about the unexplained deaths and then we have the history i i yeah. think that um when we look at the whole picture you know of course we should be frightened. Of course, we should be afraid. Absolutely. Um, but if we just want to look at if you comply, you're more likely than not not to get killed. Um, that's still, to me, horrific. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very, very difficult, if not impossible, to separate um, the emotion from the numbers. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Because yeah. when people use the numbers in the way that the right typically uses the numbers, yeah. it's very dehumanizing again, which kind of speaks to black lives not matter. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, I mean, only eight of you died, so exactly. let's move on. Like, exactly. why are you so frustrated? Just listen. Right. And and that's why I'm trying to, you know, have this conversation yeah. and break it down in pieces is so people can can start to go, oh, well, that, oh, that was a retort, you know, that was a response mm-hmm. to that, you know, because they don't hear this. Right. I mean, right. as far as I know, I don't know if y'all have, but I haven't listened to too many YouTube videos or podcasts where we actually talk about this because like we're saying, it's triggering just to talk about it with people that are safe. It is. Absolutely. It like is. People need to understand this. Like we see each other every day and yes. are really good friends and have already <laughs> yes. had these conversations that yes. we're now just having live Multiple times. and we're all anxious sitting here sweating. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how do you think you're going to have this conversation with some random person, Yeah. Yeah. you know, in your church your or in, in your <laughs> whatever and like... Well, and not even change their mind, but like be able to finish it and be able to be authentic because part of my fear in having this conversation is being able to be honest um, and not be judged. Absolutely. Be honest about, um, okay, you know, if the police are afraid of your hands and not be judged. Well, she's saying that it was okay. No, I'm not. But I am stating a truth that the police are afraid of your hands Um, from what I you know, have been trained on. Absolutely. And so, and to not do that doesn't do justice to the fact that, the cops that are out there, let's talk about that just for a second. You know, the large majority of them aren't waking up in the morning and going, I'm going to kill a black person today. Mm-hmm. Right. right. I don't think anybody in the black, oh, I hope very few people in the Black Lives Matter movement and not, and we'll get to the, like the actual website and all that stuff. Okay. But like you guys, the average people you know, think that there are people who are just like, I'm going to kill a black person today. No, I think they're scared. Absolutely. And I, I do. I think that they're afraid. And I think that because African-Americans have been, um, and black people have been dehumanized, they don't see them as totally human. You and I had a discussion, I don't know when, about um, war mm-hmm. and and how um, wars were won because people were dehumanized. Yep. Um, and so that made me look a little bit more into that. And, and it makes sense. It's a little easier to shoot a, a black person because you they have been dehumanized by the media. It does not mean that um, the intent is always malicious. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, or even racist. You know what I mean? It, it's racist because it, yes. ethnicity comes into it. Right. But it's, it's not necessarily that that guy outside of that moment 
would be like, oh, this is a black person. And so I don't trust, like, they're not thinking rationally either. Not always as a whole. There are some. Oh, absolutely. But as a whole, not always. We just can't. Because there are, you know, police officers of all races. And I just, I mean, I know they're scared. I have clients who are police officers. I know they're scared. Yeah. You know. And so that, um, that kind of puts another spin onto it. Uh, and it's hard because you're like, well, how are you scared? You got the gun. <laughs> right? I mean, that's the argument. <laughs> right? And so. I mean, they're, they're doing a dangerous job. Let's yeah. just be completely honest. I don't, I don't know too many people who risk their life on a, on a daily basis that don't go into that job with some sort of fear in order to in order to do it because you have right. to be on your a game yeah. you know every time you're in there whether you're a doctor whether you're mm-hmm. a nurse whether you're a truck driver you're it could happen so you have to be aware so that mm-hmm. i think there is some some natural fear that goes into being a first responder that goes into being a police officer um, and I think there is some natural fear that just goes into being a black person oh, in America. Sure. You know, uh, just by existing, you don't know if today is going to be your day to be targeted. So although I may not be, um, I might not have an encounter with a police officer today, but I may hear some inappropriate conversations while I'm checking out at Kroger. Or I may, or I may walk into my lobby and see somebody with a Confederate mask on. At yeah, work. just, just, yeah, just alter, <laughs> that's a huge all, triggering. Yeah, those, know. those, so that that makes you become even more, um, sus- like suspect yeah. of just any encounter with any mm-hmm. other white person when you're already been primed your entire day. You might have mm-hmm. seen five Confederate. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, license plates, license plates yeah. on, on your way and you're like dang you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and they're just talking about these monuments which I mean you know it, it, I and understand. then you you know then you arrive and, and so we talked about earlier safety um, yeah. we talked about the police officers having to have um, finding safety in the stance of, of looking at a group of people as criminals um, because that's where they find their safety but as um, African Americans I can't speak for all but I can speak for myself um there is safety in assuming that the white people that I encounter are Trump supporters, you know, and, and, um, far right, um, and, um, not loving (laughs) or kind or, or, or open to, um, black people. There's safety in that because then I don't give you the opportunity to hurt me. Yeah. That's that's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I I know you, so Natasha, you're not saying that's right. (laughs) No, I'm not. We talked about this. No, I'm not saying that's right, but I'm saying that, um, out of trauma, you, um, adopt what makes you feel safe. Generalize. You generalize. Yeah. 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 And so, no, I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that, that, that I'm explaining the behavior. Absolutely. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's my behavior. I'm explaining the behavior. Yeah, but it's, it's just coping. That's the, that's, yeah. that's a lot of black people's form of coping. It's, it's better for me to assume the worst and not get hurt. Right. Because I can avoid you. I cannot interact with you. I cannot mm-hmm. look at you. And we don't have to have an interaction because then I won't get hurt or I won't have to defend myself. Exactly. So I'm just going to cope by just knowing, okay, this could be a racist person. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to even engage. I'm not going to mm-hmm. even give them my time of day mm-hmm. in order for me to go about my my doctor visit or for me yeah. to go and get my groceries or for me right. to go and pick up my prescription or something mm-hmm. like that. I just have to just assume that, let me just yeah. ignore this and not right. deal with it, you know? Exactly. Yeah, and I, and I think the point that I'm making is, or want to make, is that that's just the human condition. Yeah. Right? That's not unique to black people. Yeah. That's my condition when I'm dealing with 
things that are traumatizing to me. Yeah. Right. Right. That trauma is superseding race and gender Absolutely. and ethnicity and all, and all of those things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and that I think to find empathy, people need to realize like they like, look at your own life exactly. and the things that have been dangerous to you. It's not dangerous to everybody. Exactly. Right. If you've been in a car wreck, I never worry about driving. Right. I never like get triggered at a red light. I never get flat. At least somebody drives by fast. I'm not part racing, pull over. I got to stop or chase them down and cuss them out. Like I've never, I've been in a car wreck, but I've never been in one that was traumatic. Mm-hmm. Right. But a person who's been in a car wreck, they're jumping at everything. Now, am I supposed to just be like, look, suck it up, mm-hmm. stop worrying about it? Like, Let's look at statistics. Only 2% of people get in bad car wrecks, so you mm-hmm. shouldn't worry that you're going to get in a car wreck. That's, that's silly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter, right? If they don't recover, if they don't get therapy, it doesn't matter if it's 2%, 0.001%, all cars are dangerous. Absolutely. And that's been African-Americans' experience throughout the, the, the country is that they have been in a lot of car wrecks. Mm-hmm. They've experienced cars being dangerous a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Not all those cars killed somebody, mm-hmm. but a lot of those cars bumped into them, scraped them, ran them over, pushed them out the way, or somebody yeah. they knew. Mm-hmm. And now we're sitting in 2020 looking at statistics and going, well, look, the stats don't match your level of fear. Yeah. Right. So you're wrong. And I think you, you, sp- you spoke to a really good point right there. You can be traumatized not only by what you experience, by, but by what you see. You know, you can be traumatized by... You, I, if I see Natasha have a really bad interaction with somebody, mm-hmm. that's going to trigger me. And next mm-hmm. time I see that person, I'm not dealing with them. Mm-hmm. I'm completely checked out on them because the way they treated Natasha. So you don't have to have had a racist interaction or had to have a police officer treat, treat you you know, horrible that day. If you've been experiencing it, the news, if you've been experiencing it through social media, if you've been experiencing it through the newspapers or just through your family members telling you mm-hmm. how this has happened for mm-hmm. years and years, well, now you are traumatized. Mm-hmm. I feel like most black people have PTSD mm-hmm. or some form of it. I so, agree. so I wanted to get into that. I do too, but I think most y'all know where I'm gonna go. Most <laughs> people have PTSD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We act like it's like this rare thing that people have. No, but I if you look don't. at the diagnosis, which is what you just named, the first stance is you or someone you love mm-hmm. has exactly. experienced an event that you know was scary, that that was near death, that mm-hmm. was overwhelming, and then mm-hmm. a bunch of other things right Absolutely. underneath it. That's most people. Right. So if we really take a reality, if we're going to fix this problem, I think everyone has to go, okay, well, I'm traumatized. They're traumatized. We're all traumatized. Mm -hmm. So me on social media posting an argument against racism is going to re-traumatize a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. And me posting on social media a black person getting shot is going to re-traumatize people. None of that is helping the people who are traumatized. Mm -hmm. If we want to communicate that, We've got to do it in our spheres of influence with the people that we're in relationship with on a daily basis, with the senators and the mayors and the governors that we can reach, that Mm -hmm. we can talk to. But I think while we've seen this escalate so much is the, the racism and the reality of the situation doesn't matter. But what we're being bombarded with is telling us stuff that's not true Mm -hmm. and that's adding to the extent in which we're especially african-american people are terrified but also police officers are terrified mm-hmm. yes. and, and both of these parties are getting fed two sides of the story that are extreme that are not 100 percent factual but that are telling you these person these people are not going to listen to you and they're going to be violent with you mm. both sides yeah right like the cop doesn't care about you 
he's going to murder you for anything. And so, I mean, how do you, I, I couldn't be an African American and, and interact in that if that's the narrative and vice versa as a cop. I mean, I've been in the military, right? I've been in that situation where you got to make quick decisions. Mm-hmm. The difference was, is I wasn't being fed 24 seven, you know, that the Afghanistan humans going to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But right now we are being fed that the cops mm-hmm. are being fed that whether they're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. They're being fed this narrative in which everybody thinks you're terrible and just trying to kill people and we'll kill, mm-hmm. ba- kill, kill people for any reason. Mm-hmm. And they're going, wait a second. Like mm-hmm. I got up this morning, like I'm black. I'm trying to just go to work. I'm trying mm-hmm. to protect people. I'm trying to do the right thing. And they don't have any of the skills. No, we talked about this too. I had a, I was seeing a cop yesterday. Um, you know, Speaking of takedowns, so let's go back to the Jacob Blake situation. You know, so yes, we all agree he shouldn't be shot, he shouldn't reach in his car. But like you said, part of the problem with, if we're going to talk about policing, is police agree that there needs to be reform. Yes. Like cops aren't arguing that they're, everything's fine. They're begging for help and support. Right. Right. A, a police officer, the Wall Street Journal, I was reading it, and it said um, that police officers in 2019 are 18 and a half more likely to be killed by a black male than a black male killed by police statistically, Mm -hmm. right? They have way more interactions. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons that doesn't deny racism. That doesn't deny all the problems we've already talked about. It just speaks to the fact that they're always in fight or flight too, right? right? They have friends and cousins and brothers that got shot the week before or the night before, Mm -hmm. and they're not recovered. Right. Right. And so on one half, we, we have to, in my opinion, since the cops are the ones in more of a power position, there are more white cops in power position. Yes. It, it puts the um, responsibility on the, on the police department and on the people responsible for the police department to change that system before we ever think a black man is going to be more compliant mm-hmm. because of power. Right. Just like I would say, in an, like we know in adultery, like if a, wo- a woman cheats on a husband or vice versa, it is on the adulterer. Right. to build to trust first yeah, yeah, yeah. before the other person's going to trust them. Absolutely. Exactly. And since we know factually that black people have been mistreated and abused and neglected definitely by the police department in the early 50s and 60s and 70s atrociously and nobody would deny that. I don't think as much today as it was then, but that's not the point. Yeah. Right? Is that we're still not we still have not changed the system enough for there to be any recovery and repair from that. Mm-hmm. So, in that situation, you're right, takedown techniques, right, are a huge issue. In Shreveport, police get, from what I know, mm-hmm. like four hours of training a year on how to take a person down, on hand-to-hand tactics. Mm-hmm. And 17 or so hours, 20 hours or so, on de-escalation techniques and communication. That's, like, it takes you thousands of hours to be an expert at something. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And they're having to use it every day. Right. In all this drama that we just laid out yeah. for people. Mm-hmm. Cops are having to come to a situation. They don't know how to take somebody down. They have no, I mean, I'm biased. I, they have no jujitsu. Right. And if they did, ha- 90% of these situations that we've seen with three guys struggling with one, you know, 175 pound black guy mm-hmm. could, could not happen. Right. Because they need the training. Mm-hmm. De-escalation techniques, same way. We, we understand trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We understand all these things that we've just talked about. But the, the police force needs this conversation. They need to hear it. They need to hear the systemic issues and the built-up you know, issues over time. So when they're in, that's going to lower their fight or flight because they have tools. 
you, right? right? Your son, right? Mm-hmm. Him knowing what he knows from you, it mm-hmm. might not alleviate his anxiety, but mm-hmm. he's going to be able to function. Right. You sitting in here, the right. reason you can finish this conversation yes. is because of the tools and the trust and the and the things we built on to have it. Yes. The police have to have that with the yeah. black community, mm-hmm. but they have to have the support and the funding and the proper training to be able to do that. But I think police just like um, first responders, just not just first Absolutely. responders yeah, and, yeah. and just military, they they have the same mentality of what goes on in this house stays in this house mm. because I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose a potential promotion. So the for the police to really go through that change, they have to change their philosophy and what they think about as far as mental health and, 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 right. and, and trauma just in general. And I think they do need to be explained what that does because when a police officer sees another police officer get shot, they're instantly they're traumatized. Exactly. They're always going to be on edge. Exactly. Whenever they pass that area, they're going to cringe. Exactly. They're going to expect, you know, something bad to happen in that area. So until the police can actually look at the, the brain and the, the psychology behind this, and this, let's just not associate this person as being crazy. No, they have, they have been victimized in some kind of way, and they need to be treated as such. Absolutely. So, yes, the police departments have to acknowledge that you can develop a mental health problem from from doing that job, but it's not gonna it's not gonna stop you from from de- being the best that you can actually be. You can still get treated for that. You can still overcome those issues. But it's okay for a police officer to say, I- "I'm I'm battling today. I'm I'm stressed, or I may have PT- Maybe you don't need to be on your shift today. That has to be something that's normalized within that community. If you're already stressed and overwhelmed, maybe I don't need to put you in a more stressful environment and, and make you have to respond to something that could be a lot more stressful. You know, uh, I, I was seeing a, a few firefighters and th- he was just kind of explaining to me the most horrible thing that he saw was a, a, dead, a dead baby. And he said he had to just, every time he passed that highway, he saw that dead baby. And it's like, well, if that's something you're experiencing, have you have you decided to tell your captain? He's like, no, I can't because I don't want to miss out on a promotion. I don't want them to feel like I'm unfit to do my job. I don't want them to think that I can't separate work from helping somebody. Mm. And I'm like, that's just. But don't we do the same thing here? We do. Right. Like y'all as, as, as my mm-hmm. people that we work with, like. I mean, thank God y'all trust me Mm because you can come to me and say, man, I'm crying, I'm out, I'm stressed, I'm overwhelmed. (laughs) And what do I say? I'm always like, I want you to tell me because that doesn't mean I don't think you can do your job. Right. Right? How many times have I said that? So many. (laughs) I think, like, but that takes leadership. And I'm not patting myself on the back. I've Mm -hmm. been trained. I have degrees in it. It's Mm -hmm. not because I'm special. No, you understand I'm not any it. more special yeah. than anybody else. I'm not any more gracious than anybody else. No. Number one, that's all Jesus. But number two, I just have the training and education to be able yeah, to do it. it. And I want for us to realize that, yes, it's about racism. And yes, racism is a huge issue. But another part of that puzzle and another huge piece of it is the leadership that is in charge of our policing, that is in charge of our black communities, that is walking around saying Black Lives Matter, who's making these websites they're hurting us all by not giving us what we need in support, by not treating us and teaching us and holding us accountable to what our needs are and what the facts are. We're getting left and right dialogue from all over the place with, with mixed information that's not accurate. And then the leadership's not, not leading, right? They're not, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So I think that you know if you have five shifts, for example, right? 
one of those shifts should be de-escalation techniques and and you know hand-to-hand tactics right but i also think that um in, in many instances they're operating outside of their scope of practice oh yeah we, and that's something you know as as clinicians that we are very careful about at least here um not to operate you know there are certain clients that i won't see i think that um a lot of the issues are, that they face are not policing issues they're social work issues yeah and shreveport just did a huge thing where they changed mm-hmm. some of that you know they and, did. and a lot of people don't like it and a lot of people who understand it understand the the, the exactly. policies in which they did yeah. you know exactly. you're not going to show up to a 16 year old kid's house who won't play his video games exactly like yeah. i worked at the children's home i i've been there when the cops have shown up and slammed a kid on the ground mm-hmm. white black i've seen it all mm-hmm. because the he's being defiant to the parents right. and the cop look at the parents and say you know, well, if you whoop his, you know what, you know, then he'd be straightened up. And it's like, this kid was just traumatized by these adults, right. has been traumatized his whole life, and now right. he's being defiant. He's 10. Yeah. And your answer is, we, whoop, his whoop him. I've and been there too. Right. I've seen if that you too. just whoop him, he'd do yeah. better. And the reality is, is like, just like we're talking about, it's not that easy, mm-hmm. right? That kid's in a system mm-hmm. that you just beating him doesn't solve the problem. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You just telling a, a black man, listen and put your hands up and Mm -hmm. nothing will happen it's not going to fix the problem Mm -hmm. but realizing there are systemic changes that have to happen on both sides of the line Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. is is really hard to have a conversation Mm -hmm. because like we talked about as soon as you say black lives matter you get the response all lives matter yes (laughs) and that's a i want people to understand that is so insensitive Mm -hmm. and and if you don't if you want to not be heard say that to the person Mm -hmm. because all that does is put the black person in fight or flight Mm -hmm. because all they're wanting you to do is validate their pain right and you asked me on the phone right you said well why is it that people say that and i said people can't see through their pain to see your pain yes and 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 that was that was prolific and i've used that many times (laughs) (laughs) because (laughs) because that you know that that was because that that puts a face on um that puts a I hate to use the word enemy, but that puts a face on my enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, when when I understand that that it's not that you um, are inherently racist, or it's not that you are afraid of your white privilege being revoked, it's that you really just can't understand. No, for sure. And so, like, right, white fragility—you hear that topic all the time. Like, yes. it's kind of like obsessive or uh, oppositional defiant disorder. It's mm-hmm. just a label that's not really actually answering the question. Hmm. What I mean is is that I don't think white people are that fragile. I think white people are not as traumatized as black people, but mm-hmm. so significantly traumatized as a culture themselves mm-hmm. that nobody's recovered, hmm. right? If you think about it, what I mean is is like you have systemic racism, you have slavery, you have mm-hmm. poverty, you have Jim Crow, you have all these things that black people are certainly dealing with. Mm-hmm. But paralleled with that, as, as a white man in the white community, mm-hmm. overall, just in life, nobody has it easy. Right, we've had forty generation or three generations for the last forty years of of white men and black men going to war, mm-hmm. right? We, you know, our grandfathers, my grandfather went to Korea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had PTSD. Every one of those guys who went to Vietnam, who went to to World War One and two and and Korea and all these wars, came back with post traumatic stress disorder mm-hmm. to a degree that they couldn't function, to the degree that they became alcoholics, that they were abusive to their spouses, to their children, they couldn't attach to their sons and daughters, they were addicted to all kinds of drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Everybody's super messed up. 
and then you add the layer for black people of racism and systemic racism. So it is bad. It is worse for black people. I'm perfectly fine saying that as a white man, right? That's what white privilege is, mm -hmm. that there is a systemic thing. What I want the African-American community and what we've talked about before is to understand is that if that's the route you try to go to play the worst game mm -hmm. before the other communities healed, mm -hmm. without both people validating that they're both in pain, mm -hmm. we're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, everybody's going to have their walls up. That's what I kind of talk to my, my, my clients about that are struggling in their marriage. Like when you're upset, offended, or hurt in some type of way, you, I'm never going to see your, your, your perspective because you hadn't validated my feelings. And I think um, what, what happens with black people, we're so tired of seeking the validation yep. that we don't, we don't know how to articulate it any better. There's no way that I'm going to see your perspective. And, and white people are so tired of having black people say, hey, I need this validation, mm -hmm. that you, you just now, you're, it's a stalemate. You know, it's, it's like a, a political stalemate. It's mm -hmm. a societal stalemate that we recognize that there's a problem. You're telling me here's your problem. I'm telling you here's my problem. But nobody has a solution to it. And the younger people just aren't having it. Yeah. They, they aren't having it. They aren't listening. They don't care. Yeah. And, um... And it is exploding, you know, in every direction. Man, that, I mean, both of those were such good points that I, I think people don't say out loud, mm -hmm. right, that you don't hear. Um, because that's one is you're dealing with a lot of young people mm -hmm. who are in a society of, like all of them, black, white, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. They, and even us, right, we're pretty young relatively to probably mm -hmm. the people that are out there, the, the old, you know, the old people who are like, oh, you kids these days, that's how <laughs> I feel some days. But they're a totally different breed of human beings yeah. than mm -hmm. we were. Yeah. Yes. Right. So if you look at Martin Luther King, you look at these yes. these generations like we talked about riots. These things always happen with change. Yeah. Right? right. They shouldn't happen, but they happen because it typically doesn't get to the people who are responsible for it until something bad does happen. Absolutely. Right. That's not justifying it. That's yeah. not saying there's another way around. That's just the facts of history. But this generation, yeah. mm -hmm. their ability to have resiliency and patience and insight yeah. because they're coming off the backs of of our parents yeah right whose parents were war-torn and racist yeah. and 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 you know dealt with all the things they've dealt with and no one's recovered no but I'm, I'm gonna add something else to that please um you know i think their ability to um feel entitled has honestly helped them because a lot of those young people feel entitled to the same laws. They do. I feel entitled sure. to the same rules. They do. Like if this works for you, this should also work for me. And that sense of entitlement hadn't been there before when we chastised them mm -hmm. for having that sense of entitlement. But because they have that sense of entitlement, they want to be treated fairly. Mm -hmm. And they should be. And know? it's of all and it's of all races. I mean and, and, and it, it's of all races. And it, there's a positive side and there's a negative yeah. side because they have that sense of entitlement and they don't have that fear. Um, you see groups, more groups now in the deep south where we are of um, friend groups that are multi-ethnic, mm -hmm. um, multi-racial. Sure. Um, and, and, and so that's the positive side, you know, of it. The negative side of the entitlement is I'm, I'm afraid for my 15-year-old son, you know, because mm -hmm. he is not scared, you know, and he feels as though I'm going to talk to you just like I would talk to my dad, you know. He, mm -hmm. he, has, he doesn't have that fear. Um, and then you have um, children of other races who also feel that entitlement of um, 
not understanding and not being able to see through the pain. Right, because they're like, what are you talking about? Exactly. Racism and slavery. And yeah. exactly. you know, they're seeing, well, I got three black teachers and five black exactly. coaches. And, and look at all the professional athletes and famous people. And I mean, that's the problem with social media, too, and Twitter. Yeah. Like, all the people who are out there, a large majority of the people out there with big mm -hmm. voices are minorities right mm -hmm. now. Right. So this younger population sees that and they think what are on, on the about? Caucasian side or mm -hmm. non-minority side, it's like, what do you mean? Like exactly. all we're hearing from is these people making millions of dollars who are super privileged for black people and influencing the culture. Yeah. You know, and being yeah. the, the, the majority of the cultural influences. Yeah. We're putting out yeah. rap music. We're yeah. putting out these things. We're mm -hmm. singing about things yeah. and talking about things that aren't good for the black community. Mm -hmm. but, but that goes back to kind of what I said with the media, the media gives the athletes Absolutely. or the exactly. rapper or the singer the platform to say those things so then people are desensitized yeah. like, how can you feel this way and you're making millions of dollars and i'm only making 30 to twenty thousand dollars a year yeah I, I i but that's because the media only gives them that platform if you just gave your regular joe smoke just regular average black man the opportunity to share their experiences and and allow them to to hear will allow us to hear what they have to say we wouldn't even listen because we wouldn't even be concerned. Well, that's the sad part, man. And that's mm -hmm. that's why I mean, I wanted, I couldn't. Jason's been, you know, my wife's been killing me because the last two weeks, once we started talking about this, I was like, couldn't wait to have this podcast because mm -hmm. I want y'all to have the opportunity to talk about yeah. it from a, a multi-layered, you know, way of talking about it. But you're right. I mean, I was joking about the podcast. Like, I don't really care how many people listen to this or mm -hmm. if we get a big following or a bunch of subscribers or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do care because I think it's good information, but. Compared to a podcast about sex or a podcast about some unhealthy version of relationships or entanglement, you know, yeah, drama, <laughs> right? It you're not going to get near as many tweets. Yeah. You're not going to get mm -hmm. many subscribers. A million people watch a video of a black guy getting shot, right. but I can't get you to watch this podcast about how we can help the culture so we're not all dying. Absolutely, right? right? So that's part of the problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And 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 the youth, right? It's not all their fault. I'm not saying that no. young people don't care i'm saying that we haven't done them an injustice mm -hmm. in recovering from our own traumas so we can help them to see things and see through their own pain right. and their own entitlement because it's it's about effective communication mm -hmm. it is you what we see in 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 media and with each other is we're we're scared we're all mm -hmm. let's admit we're all scared yes right so we're either passive aggressive in our communication or we're aggressive mm -hmm. we don't just clearly say hey, this is what I'd like, mm -hmm. these are my mm -hmm. expectations, and I'm not gonna stand for anything less. Mm -hmm. We're burning stuff down, or we're not saying anything. Mm -hmm. And I'm with you, like, let's protest, let's stand for it, let's march, let's do the things we need to do, right? Let's go to policies and procedures, but you can only do that in the areas in which you have a sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. And when you're posting it anonymously, which is basically what you're doing when you post something on social media, you have no clue how it's hitting or how it's sounding or how it's feeling to anybody else mm -hmm. and in my opinion if we don't want to be part of the problem then we can't jump in there right we can congruently say i feel scared today because of this or this is my experience but when we share clickbaity you know videos and tweets mm -hmm. that are one-sided to prove our point we're actually hurting our side because we're hurting everybody yeah. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. So if you're out there and you're like, oh man, I feel like there's racism and there's a video of this, this guy getting shot, I'm going to post it because this person tweeted it. Mm -hmm. You're actually ending up, in my opinion, getting more people shot. Mm -hmm. You're not responsible for it. There's still all these issues, but like, are you adding to the, 
to the story. Because you're right. perpetuating the story, you're perpetuating the problem opposed to having a solution or some healthy dialogue about how to how to solve that problem or how it should have been handled or how it should have been addressed. And I think many of us, because we are yelling at each other and we're not communicating, we're not mm -hmm. talking to one, we're yelling at each other, that's why you get those shares. Absolutely. That's why you get people just posting anything. Mm -hmm. People don't even read what they post. You got so many fake websites now, I can we can create a fake website and just mm -hmm. say anything. If mm -hmm. you just want to get some clickbait, yeah. we can come up with it and, and I don't think we're informed to even know what clickbait is. Right. Seriously, you most know? people aren't. Yeah. They don't realize that like you know, how dollar signs work when it comes to marketing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That like literally they can put they put something in the headline that's not even in the story. Yeah. People click it, they go, Oh, this ain't even nothing and they don't even read it and go to it. But because mm -hmm. they clicked on it, they get ad dollars. Absolutely. So they do whatever they want to. Meanwhile, I'm getting in my car ticked off because I can't believe this is an article and this happened mm -hmm. and I didn't even read it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like and that's we're what I'm traumatized. Yes. So that's my point about media is it's not about that there's not racism. It's Absolutely. not about that there's not huge issues that we need to deal with. Mm -hmm. It's it's finding solutions by having conversations like we're having mm -hmm. and hearing each other, mm -hmm. validating each other's experiences, yeah. but also challenging and going, okay. That's 100% true, I hear you, but have you mm -hmm. thought about it this way? Right. Gotcha. But what I want people to understand, and y'all know this, uh, preaching the choir, when, when you communicate, if you're gonna talk about racism, COVID, it doesn't matter. If a person is giving you their experience and they're upset, they are in their right brain. Yes. They are in fight or flight. Yeah. If they're crying, if they're emotional, if they're yelling, if they're angry, yes. right? They are in their right brain, and if you, try to prove their point wrong or give them statistics or give them reasons in which their feelings are wrong you they're only going to escalate and give you more reasons why they're right absolutely because you're speaking logic which is the left brain right right mm -hmm. and so if if somebody says all hey black lives matter you saying all lives matter is speaking to their left brain mm -hmm. and they're going to go you don't hear me yeah Black people are dying. We're being, you know, we're being mistreated. We're being, you know, incarcerated at a higher rate. We're, there are all these facts that I know and that I've experienced, and you're basically saying all lives matter, and that means none of my points true. Yeah. Right. That's what you feel. Yeah. Right. It's dismissive. Right. Yeah. But if they said to you, if if you said, because we talked about what's the answer, right? Yes. The answer is for somebody to say, "Wow, like you must be trying to say something important. Tell me mm -hmm. more about that." Yeah. What are you trying to say with Black Lives Matter? Like, like I asked you in the very beginning, mm -hmm. what do you, what do you think when you're saying that? Mm -hmm. Oh, what I mean is, is I want to matter too. Right. Well, you matter to me. I want you to know, like, you matter a lot to me, and I'm mm -hmm. sorry that you don't feel like mm -hmm. you matter to mm -hmm. other people. Yeah. And obviously, in your experience, that's been the case. Can you tell me about that? Right. And th and then there's a, a conversation. Well, hey, you know what? It kind of makes me nervous that mm -hmm. you're you're kind of going over here. Yeah. And that might not be true. Right. Right. And burning down stuff and doing these things, that's not actually promoting black lives. Yeah. My, I think a lot of black people's issue is just the fact that their existence seems to uh, anger or seems to um, make other people mad. Like the fact that I, I say black lives matter. I didn't say white people suck. I didn't say uh, forget all the Mexicans and Asians and it I didn't say that mm -hmm. I didn't say that I'm just saying my life matters mm -hmm. so the fact that that gets you irritated I think that's why a lot of black people just put up their fence and say well I can't even have a conversation with you because why is black lives matter making you irritated 
I think that's it's irrational. Mm-hmm. But I think what what that that ends the conversation, right? Yeah. That stance of like because you you're saying I don't understand why, and I'm and what I want people to hear is the reason that people are annoyed by that isn't necessarily that they're racist; is that they're in pain too. Like they've spent their whole average. If you just say the average person, mm-hmm. right? They've spent their day. Divorce rate is fifty two percent. Somebody yeah. in their family's addicted. Somebody in their family's dealing with anxiety and depression. One of their kids is causing problems. Mm-hmm. They're they're probably eight credit cards in debt. Like no one, they're obese, right? If you're talking about the average American, mm-hmm. right? They're they're overweight. They have heart disease. Like they're just the subset of everybody, and they're dealing with all these heavy issues. And now they've not recovered from any of that. And now you're saying, hey, I want you to focus more on me yeah. than on any of the crisis and trauma that, that you're, you're in. dealing with. And yeah. they don't have the capacity to do it. That's not, they should. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're going to should ourselves, right? They should, as a, as a white man, I want to build myself up so that when someone's suffering and struggling, I have enough in my tank to hear whatever it is. Yeah. Right. Right? That I want to work out. I want to eat right. I want to go to therapy. I want to recover. I want to know that I'm doing my work. Mm-hmm. So if my wife's upset or my kid's upset, mm-hmm. whether it's fair or not, and especially as a Christian, mm-hmm. I can be there in that moment for a, a brief amount of time where I put you before me. Yeah. Right. I can get my needs met afterwards. Mm-hmm. Right? And scientifically, like we were just talking about, that works because if I validate you first mm-hmm. and then I talk to your left brain, you can learn, you can right. listen. Mm-hmm. You can get through like, oh, do I need to be yelling and screaming about Black Lives Matter right now? Because mm-hmm. now that I'm heard and I'm validated, maybe I don't want to yell anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem is like, obviously, like, yes, there's a portion of people who are going to yell and burn down whether you validate them or Absolutely. not. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But there's a bunch of people who would sit down and be quiet mm-hmm. and go, oh, my gosh, let's talk. Mm-hmm. You heard me. Yeah. But when we say all lives matter and throw that back out in people's face, it only makes the problem worse. Yeah, it inflames it. Right, and that's the, that, I think people say all lives matter with good intentions, mm-hmm. right? They're not trying to say black lives don't matter. Mm-hmm. They're just in pain and saying, why can't we all just heal? Hmm. But they don't understand that they, we, just like the police officer who has the power, as a Caucasian who hasn't been in slavery and hasn't been in systemic racism, mm-hmm. In my opinion, it does fall on me to have enough in my tank to listen for a second first mm-hmm. and then go and say, okay, like we just, we literally just did it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I kind of set this up on purpose. Mm-hmm. I let you guys tell your story for 45 minutes of the thing. And then I gave you some statistics that were hard to hear. Mm-hmm. Then we had a little harder conversation. But the reason that you were able to do it mm-hmm. was because you felt safe enough with me to hear the yeah. hard, the hard questions. Mm-hmm. I didn't start off with, okay, guys. Let's talk about the fact that only, you know, more white cops are killed than black people. If I would have done that, this conversation would have went, even if you love me and trust me, mm-hmm. what would have happened? It would have went left. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. All the way left. All the way left. Yeah. Right. Be- because not because. I don't want to. Yeah. You better get it. I didn't come for this. Right. But, 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 but you, you were able. Let me pull able, up my quote. Absolutely. But you were able to, you were able to hear it because you felt safe enough, yeah. long enough in the conversation where you knew my stance, you knew I loved you, mm-hmm. you knew that I, I hear you and I believe you and I validate yeah. you. 
And then I could say, okay, that that shooting stuff's not all the way right. Yeah. Right. But I think you speak to a bigger issue, though, Clint. I think what, what, what you said is that we're all hurting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're all dealing with something. We all need therapy. We all need self-care. And until we can look inward and heal inward, I'm not going to be able to see another person's perspective. Because when you said that about all lives matter i don't think any black people look at it that way no i'm that's my first time ever even looking at it from the perspective of the average person um and and their situation specifically when we talk about black lives matter because the people that i see um who are being um killed or harassed or victimized Mm -hmm. um look like the people i love absolutely and Mm -hmm. so that it makes it very difficult for me to see it from that other and the average person, you know, their experience isn't right. going around calling black people the N-word or seeing mm-hmm. that or seeing this experience. You know, it's mm-hmm. like their their experience is, I'm just living my life. I don't even know. Like mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. they're not engaged in that stuff right. either. So when you show this extreme, this is how it yeah. is, they're all of a sudden like, hold on, how am I responsible right. for all this when I don't even see it on a yeah. daily basis? Basis. Right. I don't engage in it. A lot of people don't engage. I, I, I think that's something that black people have... Uh, maybe not even struggle with, but just aren't knowledgeable of that mm-hmm. all people are not, all white people aren't racist. Right. But we, we, that's our defense mechanism and that's just what our normal interaction have have come to. I mean, if you see for black people, if, if it's 10 white people, you, you can guarantee about 30 to 40% of them, you know, mm-hmm. are gonna feel some type of way about your presence or you being there and they're gonna make it known and heard, mm-hmm. you know, and because that's been our experience for so long, we just, hey, Black Lives Matter, I'm not trying to hear no All Lives Matter stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't care about what's going on at your family's house because this is what I'm experiencing and this is what I'm seeing. But mm-hmm. until we can take a step back and say, well, do, do you ever struggle with anxiety? Or, you know, how is your, your, your marriage? Or are you struggling financially? Because mm-hmm. those are issues that we all can relate to. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you look like. Mm-hmm. If you're struggling with something, you're struggling with something. Until we can just get down to, to that core, like that core issue that you're struggling mm-hmm. and because you're struggling you may not see my perspective in this mm-hmm. you're i'm never going to be heard and um i think the media does a good job of perpetuating that yeah because they never say that yeah right like you just said like mm-hmm. i mean you guys are pretty red trained people mm-hmm. and you've yeah. not heard this perspective that Mm-mm. that i'm talking about yeah that's a problem right. right the fact that the average black person hasn't been able to because of safety and trauma had that conversation with a white person or another person saying all lives matter and been like, okay, what does that actually mean? Because unless we're really close and like we are, Mm -hmm. they don't have the capacity to hear it is what you're saying. And flip it, it's the same way for someone listening to Black Lives Matter. The average white person, you know, and I'm I'm gonna give my dad a shout out. He, you know, for my whole life, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I said said the N word like it was saying, you know, stupid or Mm -hmm. like it was saying silly or like it was ridiculous. I lived in an all-white community. Mm-hmm. We had one African-American teacher. I didn't even know what it meant. Mm-hmm. It was just a word that I used to, to downgrade somebody else or call my friend or in, in mm-hmm. varying degrees. I wasn't around black people. Maybe one black person at my mom's job. That was it. When I was 11, 12, my dad got remarried, and I went and spent the night at a friend's house. Uh, and he had he was from Pineville, which was outside of my, my town, and you know, had a couple of black friends over, another white white kid. We're playing and somebody pushed me down on the couch and I called him, you know, the N word. And it was like breaks, you know, and everybody mm-hmm. looked at me and I'll and I'll never forget this kid's face. Hmm. 
and and it just broke my heart. I was always a very sensitive kid, mm-hmm. um, and they sat down and explained to me like that's what this means. That's you know, and I was just like, and I remember from that moment being like, I'm I'm never or at least going to work really hard to never say that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and but not everybody has that perspective or that lesson. But so I grew up understanding that I started playing basketball, started playing sports, you know, really connecting. And then when I joined the military, most of my friends were black. They were in the military. They're, they're some of my favorite people. And that just mm-hmm. organically grew through relationship along the way. My, my parents were always, we were having these conversations. I'm going to seminary, you know, and we're having these race conversations. I'm going home still hearing my Jesus following grandparents use the N word, mm-hmm. not meaning anything by it. They go to church, they're deacons, they're, they're everything. But the, in the you know late 80s, early 90s, like that was just ingrained in them. That, that's different than, you know, like a poor, you know, violent criminal is an N-word. But a, there are black people and there's a difference between the two. Right? Yeah. It's like white trash versus, you know, just a white person. Mm-hmm. But white people don't understand the implications of the differences in those words. Really? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so my point is, is like, I saw them as good people, as great people, but they still had this historical stuff. So I'm getting immersed in all this, and I'm going back and having these debates and having these conversations like, hey, you don't need to say that. That's what mm-hmm. this means. So they stopped saying it, right? And it took change. But my dad would always say you know, things like, well, we're talking about white privilege, right? I worked, I've worked in a low income. He worked at the paper mill. He had black you know, friends. Son, and he's like, you know, this is just how, how they are. You're not going to tell me any different. I didn't have any extra thing than they did. I was poor. Mm-hmm. My dad was an alcoholic. Da da da. You know all these things. And in some and and in one hand, he was totally right. His life was a mess. Mm-hmm. He had so much trauma and so much abuse and so much abandonment and so much neglect that he couldn't see that if a black person had that same stuff but also had racism and slavery that it mattered that much of a difference. Yeah. Right. He was in so much pain from his trauma that he's going, you know, I, what do you mean I'm supposed to meet, I'm supposed to validate your feelings? Right. I'm crushed. My entire life has been traumatized. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm so proud of Maria, I'm going to give him a shout out. As we've been talking about this, he's been watching this. And the one benefit, as terrible that it is, is of seeing these things, mm-hmm. is that in some ways you can't hide behind it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so he, he works at Procter & Gamble now. And he was telling me the story where, you know, he stood up and kind of said, hey, I've always been this one way or thought mm-hmm. these things, but my opinions changed. And I'm sorry for that. Like, it mm-hmm. is different. And he was telling me this on the phone. And I was just mm-hmm. super proud of him. Dad, I'm super proud of you for having that conversation. You listen to this. But the reality is, is that there are people who are changing. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's a huge amount of white people who are validating and appreciating and yes. learning and trying to be different. Yes. And we also have to give them some time. Yeah. No, right? I, I think with, with the, the climate that we're living in now, it's put it in your face. Mm-hmm. Like I, I made a, um, a video about this. Like if, if you say you don't care about racism, that's a choice that you're making. But to not know that it exists, there's no way that you don't know right. it exists. And now it's calling people to the altar to see where do you really stand? You know, do you have these underlying issues or just have you been ignorant? You know what I'm saying? Have you been around people where this is just your normal day-to-day routine? Mm-hmm. You know, for, for many black people, it's not our normal day-to-day routine to just uh, talk about just white people and talk right. about just... Just right, it's just not, you know what I'm saying? And but for black people, that's what we think white people do all day. You know, we think <laughs> y'all sit around in huddles <laughs> and in closets and in rooms and just down 
and that's just not the it's case. Just not You're not around enough black people to even care or to know or to mm -hmm. feel that way. I may not be around enough white people to care, to know, or to feel that way. Mm -hmm. So no, it's not on my mind. Uh, and when I see you, that's not the first thought that comes to my head. Mm -hmm. But my actions, when I when I hear somebody else do it, I'm not correcting. Mm -hmm. Like right. that's something that I think we all can do a better job at as far as allying. You know, if you're going to ally, if you want to talk about Black Lives Matter, if you want to talk about white lives, white, not white lives, but all lives matter, then we have to just sit down and truly have a conversation, you know, and explain that perspective. What does that mean? Nobody's ever, nobody that, that has been, been white has ever asked me, what does Black Lives Matter mean to you? Ever. I don't think I've ever had that. I don't that. know if I, if someone has, it was Clint in a previous conversation. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think but anybody else that, has ever just asked never. me, what does Black Lives Matter mean to you? This is the first is conversation I've ever had where um, I discussed with someone who wasn't black yeah. what it's like being black in America. Yeah. And, and again, we are master's level clinicians, yeah. you know, with licenses and, yeah. you know, but that's not, those aren't conversations we have. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, honored to have the conversation with y'all and, and for other people to hear that you can have the conversation, but there's a way to have it. Right. And you don't get to just have it however you want to. Yeah. You right. know, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I prefaced with you guys. I said, Hey, this is going to be a tough conversation. Y'all okay with it. Let's talk through it. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause we, we already knew. And so if you're out there listening to this and you want to have a conversation with your black friends, if you want to have a conversation with your white friends, we all have to take personal responsibility to realize they got stuff going on mm -hmm. that we could never know about. Mm -hmm. And to assume without allowing them to tell you is the first step in messing the whole thing up. Yeah. So if you're out there and you think you know what all lives matter means or you know what black lives matter means, until you sit down with the person over coffee or over dinner and you say, hey, let me be a safe space for you. I want to learn. I want to know what this means. Mm -hmm. Then everybody's screwing it up. And that goes for people who are saying cops are bad or all black people are bad or any, all Democrats, all Republicans. Like anytime you're group thinking and putting a, a whole group of people in a category, mm -hmm. it's wrong. Yeah. No right. matter what. That doesn't mean that racism doesn't exist. That doesn't mean that all cops are heroes. Yeah. Right? Because that's what we do. We start lumping these things. I love police officers. I love first responders. We work with all of us, work with them. We want to help them. We want to, we, we cry with them. We grieve with them. We, we know. Right. But a hero is somebody who has certain characters, whether they're a cop, a military person, an individual, a black person, a white person. It, you don't get it just because you have a position. You can stand up on on the stage and yell Black Lives Matter. But the other problem I see and I sent you, you know, me and you talked mm -hmm. about this is there are videos right now in Portland of black people and other people running up and hitting cops with bricks spitting on them, standing in a crowd saying Black Lives Matter, holding their hand up and saying, we got another one of these fastest, I don't even care that they died, mm. right? And and that is being seen by the these people on the right, right. and they're now getting desensitized to even caring. And so my yeah. point is, is we all have to stop playing into that. Mm -hmm. Stop watching it, stop posting it, and have real conversations with the people in your life. Mm -hmm. Like that's my challenge to people is, if you really do care about black lives, if you, if whether you're white or you're black, it doesn't matter. Find some people in your network that are safe. Mm -hmm. Have these conversations. If you don't know somebody who's safe, find a black friend of yours that is safe for you, and they find their white friend, mm -hmm. and sit down and have coffee together. Because until you practice safety with somebody, your brain is not going to build a neuropathway to be able to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
and you have to practice it over and over. You have to have a good experience with a white person. You have to have a good experience with a black person. Yeah. You have to have a good experience with a cop. And the thing about God that's so cool is that a little bit of good can outweigh a lot of bad. Yes, it can. And if, if we can start really on a personal level having these moments of safety with people, then it can rewrite write our brains, rewrite our stories, and we, in the moment we can ha- now start being able to decide what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Am I going to listen? Am I going to put my hands up? Am I going to keep my hands on the steering wheel? Mm-hmm. I'm a cop. Am I going to be patient? Mm-hmm. Am I going to realize, like, this black man probably has a lot of trauma. He probably sees me as a threat. He's probably going to go into fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just assume that that's the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, not assume that he's bad. Not assume that the cop's racist, yeah. but assume that we're in a culture that's not healed yet, and I'm responsible for how I I act in that culture. Mm-hmm. Only me. Right. Yeah. I'm only responsible if I listen to the cop. And I'm only responsible as the cop if I beg and plead for the training I need to do the job. Yeah. But I can't, I can't say, well, because of systemic racism and all this stuff, I have the right to riot, or I have the right to do these things. Mm-hmm. I can't say as a cop, well... I don't have enough skills and I don't have enough stuff. So I'm going to be, you know, really scared and pull my gun out and just shoot. And so that's justified because X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z. We are personally responsible, all of us. And so, but we can't do that if we don't know. Right. Right. And so this point of this podcast for people is for them to hear this for the first time and go, well, now I know. Right. Mm -hmm. And now I can do something about it. I can research some more. Maybe, maybe I kind of hear what Clint says and that resonates or heard what Natasha said or Hasim said. I'm going to look into that some more. Yeah. I'm going to email in and say, okay, I got that, but what about this? Right. I'm going to go to therapy and realize like, yeah, I've been treated like a terrible person as a black person for most of my life. Mm-hmm. And I need to, I need to heal from that mm-hmm. so that I can respond appropriately. So I can teach my children to respond appropriately. So I can do, I can st- not let the, the pain of the past dictate my behavior in the future, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes perfect sense. Absolutely. That's the, I mean, that's what therapy is for, is for healing. And to, to take that deep look in the mirror. I think we all need that. Too, too many people just okay. don't, don't ever look in the mirror. Don't, they just respond and react to what they see and don't take a look at, well, how did you see that? Is there a reason why you saw it that way? Is yeah. there something that's going on with you? It's the why you reacted that way. Um, and I think therapy is the perfect opportunity for you to look at yourself in the mirror and to have somebody to read your soul to let you know what you're doing, <laughs> what you're not doing right, and, and why you are responding the way that you are. And But really, it's just to be heard. Too many people are not heard. They just go to work, mm-hmm. they take care of their kids, pay their bills, mm-hmm. and they never get an opportunity to get heard. So right. if you're listening to this, go see a therapist. Absolutely. <laughs> we got some good ones here. You two are we the have, best. We have, we have the, in, the best here. Um, it, 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 the, we have a full staff of amazing therapists that can meet any need you have. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we got about, I don't know, 10 more minutes we got. Um, tell me a little bit, you know, it's called Asking Why. I just, I like to ask people at the end of the, of the podcast, you know, what are some questions? And it doesn't have to be Black Lives Matter related mm-hmm. or, you know, anything. What's a, what are, what's a question, Natasha, that you're asking why about uh, these days? Oh, wow. I'm asking why... Um, everyone is so angry all the time i'm asking why there seems to be such a big shift um because it just didn't feel like this 
um, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. It just didn't feel like this. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah, I like I like to give you a quick answer, uh, and and I think that's the the thing that's y'all been touching the whole time you've been here, right? The uh -huh. little black box that we keep on us, uh. you know, our cell phones. You know, I think the cell phone is a great thing, but we're inundating ourselves with information that's not necessary, hmm. and it's causing us anxiety. It's causing us depression. It's causing us to feel not good enough and not mm -hmm. up to everybody else. And so all everybody can focus on is what they don't have. Mm -hmm. You know what they're not adding up to what racism is going on what mm -hmm. fear is going on and it's it's most of it's irrational because it's not based on fact right right everything we see on social media and on Instagram and it's not real mm -hmm. it's not a re these commercials these advertisement dollars that they're pushing down our throats for what car we need what clothes we need what what hair we need you know mm -hmm. all the things what looks we need how many freaking diet plans there are you know, all these things are just constantly feeding us with you're not enough. Mm -hmm. Right? They're the anti-gospel. Mm -hmm. right? The gospel says you're loved, that you're mm -hmm. valued, that you're secure right where you are, right in your skin, right at your weight, right in whatever it is that you have going on. Mm -hmm. In your worst sin, in your worst behavior, you're enough. Mm -hmm. Not because of you, but because of who God is and who mm -hmm. God says you are and what Christ did for you. And so I think under, you know, I didn't want to get all preaching in this podcast, but the reality is, is that the root cause of so many things, of so many people's anger, right, which mm -hmm. is secondary, right. is their primary feelings of loneliness mm -hmm. and feeling isolated and feeling disconnected. And we're the most connected society in the world when it comes to technology, but we're the least connected society in the world when it comes to actual face-to-face -face interactions and communications. Yes. Look at, and we just proved that today with the fact that this is the first time y'all have ever been validated. And, mm -hmm. and I, I'm thankful to be able to be a person who can do that. I mean, I love you guys, and it's because of our relationships and our history and our time that that's capable. But that wouldn't have happened had we not been in a relationship, right. had multiple conversations, had experiences. Mm -hmm. So I think people are angry because, number one, they don't know what they're really feeling underneath that. Mm -hmm. Anger feels way better, right? Being ticked off and aggressive and your adrenaline pump and your, your jaw clenched and your fist, like you feel like you can do something. You can take somebody on. Mm -hmm. Being like feeling really lonely today and I'm, you know, feeling super depressed and, and I'm just feeling not good enough. That feels terrible. Right. Like who wants to feel that way? And so it's so much easier for people to project anger when mm -hmm. they're not even really angry. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just like the natural safety. Get away from me. I'm big. I'm scary. Mm -hmm. I'm loud and mad, you know, consequence that you're, you know, mm -hmm. putting on people. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. That was a quick answer, but thank you. <laughs> um, I'm asking why, um, aren't we giving ourselves the best opportunities to evolve or why aren't we giving ourselves an opportunity just to grow in general? I think uh, so many of us, we just, we're just stuck and we're comfortable being stuck and we're not even challenging why we are stuck and um, why, why can't we get out of this rut or whatever you may be in. Just why aren't you giving yourself a good opportunity to grow? Why aren't you taking yourself serious? You know, that's good. Yeah, I mean, again, that goes back to personal responsibility. You know, we, we all do have some amount of personal responsibility in our stuckness. We can talk about all day how we got stuck. Yeah. And there's a lot of unfairness in that for individuals and a lot of things that are problematic. But the reality is, is that there have been enough cases of people stuck in the worst situations and gotten out of it, mm. whether that be human trafficking or racism or policing or whatever the issue is that they feel like, I can't get out of this, and people have done it. And the way they've done it is taking small bites each day to do the best they can with what they're capable of doing. Mm -hmm. No, you're not going to get up and run a 5K today if you haven't. But you can get up and walk. 
Yeah. You can get up and stretch. Mm-hmm. You can get up and do this. Oh, no, you know you're not going to meditate for 30 minutes a day, but you can meditate for three. Mm-hmm. Right? You, you can do little tiny things. But when we live in the victim mentality that the media on both sides, I think, are trying to keep us in, we don't think we can. Mm-hmm. When you're told you're not good enough, everybody hates you, everybody's trying to kill you, everybody's trying to do this, then all you think is there's no way I can battle that mountain. There's no way I can climb to the top of it. But if you just take each step each day, find allies on both sides of the aisle, right? Then I think that you can start to do it. And people people don't hear it enough, right? Mm-hmm. We're so inundated with negative news and negative media and negative things that, you know, I don't think people just have the the community support. We've individualized so much. You know, ten years ago, fifteen mm-hmm. years ago, we did it. At, we did it together. Yeah. We helped each other. But, you know, it's that pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, that's an insane idea. Like, you literally can't do it. If you've ever thought about that analogy, you're supposed to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's mm-hmm. an impossibility. Like, right. originally that was a phrase because you couldn't do it. It's mm-hmm. it's insane. And it's turned into this idea of, like, you got to do it yourself. you got to earn your worth and value. you got to step up by yourself alone. And if you don't, then something's wrong with you. And that's a lot for people to overcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the reason people can't do it is because they think they need to eat the ele- whole elephant in one bite, mm. right? But you got to take one little bite at a time, and over time yeah. you can do it. That's true. Wow. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm proud of you guys. I appreciate your time. I hope that this is super helpful for people. You know, I want people to hear out there if you listen to this, and it was, you know, I know it's a very triggering conversation for people. You know, yeah. triggering means that it stirs up that fight or flight that we described, that you might be a little anxious, you might be a little nervous, you might want to debate pieces of what we've talked about. But the reality is, is this is conversation. And none of us in this room think we're 100% right. Mm-hmm. We're trying to have relational, safe conversation to get to a middle ground. And it's a little bit of left, it's a little bit of right, it's a little bit of everything. But if you hear each other, then you can leave going, okay, I didn't totally understand or agree with this or think they were right, but that's not really the point. Mm-hmm. The point is saying, hey, we live in this world together and we're going to have to yeah. do the best we can. Absolutely. Right. Let me hear you, you hear me, and hopefully people listen and, and feel validated in some ways, but also feel challenged in some ways to maybe look at things differently, respond differently. They have some tools to, to deal with racism in their own life, mm-hmm. you know, to look at police different, to look at black people different. And that we can, you know, help each other seek safety and find a way that we take personal responsibility and connect and, um, you know, make things better instead of adding to the trauma of our whole culture. This is good stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. I look for forward to coming back, Clint. Yeah, man, you're gonna come back for sure. Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. Um, subscribe on our YouTube page. Follow us on uh, Twitter. Asking why with CD. Um, yeah iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam, Pandora, whatever you want to listen to, you can listen to it. So God bless you guys. Have a good day.